Praise God. God, we honor you and we bless you, God, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I give you all the honor and the praise, God. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And your truth endures through all generations. We thank you for a solid word that we can stand on. We thank you, oh God, that your word has been tested throughout time, oh God, and you are still standing. You are still alive in us. You still rule and you still reign and you are still the head of the church. So we honor you, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So for the past uh, month or so, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians, and it has definitely been a journey. The only reason why I'm up here, because I need space, because you know, I would have I been down there, but I got to run the screen and all that sound and all that stuff from the iPad, so I need the space. But this is TLC. Okay? So if you have questions, amen, praise our God. <laughs> You can ask them, okay? You can ask them, okay? So uh, take advantage. So this is your questions about Ephesians. So I hope that you all have been taking notes and, and studying um, at your leisure time. And um, you should have questions about Ephesians. Ephesians is a tough book. And I was surprised when he said he was teaching from Ephesians. I said, God bless you and kept it moving. I didn't know I would... <laughs> have to teach it. So I'm glad that I took notes in church. <laughs> so I encourage you all to take notes in church. Um, I was given this assignment 830 yesterday night. So uh, yeah, so uh, we praise our God. <laughs> so this is this is definitely um, a lesson uh, for for especially our teachers uh, that um, you should be taking notes in church as teachers, as elders, as leaders, you should be taking notes because you don't know when you're going to get the call. Like, amen, Tammy, you don't know when you're going get, <laughs> to go get that call <laughs> to teach. And you must be in line with what the house is already saying. Okay? So uh, that's, that's, I gave that clue a few weeks ago about the, the teachers and what they're going to be doing next year. I gave a clue. I said, y'all need to be taking notes. <laughs> that was the clue. <laughs> I'm telling you, take, take notes, teachers. Miss Eva, yes, you a teacher. Amen. I'm about to draft in uh, Tanya, too. Be looking out for my phone call. God bless your life. Because <laughs> I heard you've been doing really well with the teens. So we definitely want to cultivate that gift. So, yeah. See, you got a clap from the director. That says a lot, because she could definitely put her head down like, child, you don't know. But she gave, she gave you kudos. And we want to cultivate that gift. We want to help you uh, discover it and deploy it. So, uh, yeah, so definitely, you guys, uh, take notes. 
and ask questions if you need to, okay? So the book of Ephesians, we went through all of the formalities with the book of Ephesians. We know that this is a prison epistle. Um, he wrote it while he was in his second imprisonment. And um, Paul's epistles in general are just so important uh, to the church, not because of the, the great t content and the fact that it's about half of the New Testament. <laughs> the fact is that, here's a technical fact, is that when they were putting the Bible together, uh, especially the New Testament, they used Paul's epistles as a standard. And so um, Paul's epistles, they were canonized or they were proven to be author authoritative first before the Gospels. Okay? They were um, canonized or they were approved in the first century. So about before 100 AD, they were approved. The Gospels were approved 150. So 50 years later, they were approved. Because remember we talked about in TLC how they added a gospel, take one out, kept adding books and taking them in. But the, um, Paul's letters, they didn't move. They were authoritative. And you may ask, like, okay, why are um, Paul's epistles, why are they so prominent? Why are they so um, important? It's because of the testimony of the apostles about Paul. That's what you call internal evidence. So the question is, why Paul's letters are so important it's because of 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I don't have a PowerPoint slide. Oh, well, I was giving it 2 a.m. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but I do have scriptures. Amen. So I think that's all you really need anyway. <laughs> so, um, so the scripture in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're praying for our elders, amen. <laughs> Second Peter, chapter 3. I know, I know, Paige. Lord have mercy. Chapter 3, verse 15. <laughs> this is the testimony of Peter. <laughs> Second Peter, amen. <laughs> ah, and it says, And regard the patience of our Lord as, as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. And we know that Peter had beef with Paul. Yeah, he didn't believe that Paul was converted, and he didn't believe he was called as an apostle. You didn't walk with Jesus like we did. <laughs> that, was, that was Peter's argument. And so, but now, as Peter began to mature and begin to grow, he began to accept uh, Paul's teachings and he said it here. Um, I, didn't put, I didn't put verse 16, but in verse 16 it says, speaking, um, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. He is saying that there are those who, who, do, who do not believe in Jesus Christ will take scripture and try to distort it. So they was trying to take Paul's letters to the churches and try to distort it, okay? And so that's the testimony of Peter and the testimony of the apostles that made um, Paul's epistles authoritative, okay? Um, second uh, authoritative um, evidence 
um, internal evidence is the book of Acts. We know that basically half of Acts is Paul's journeys to the churches. And so that's, that would make uh, Paul authoritative as well. The fact that Luke wrote about uh, Peter's ministry, okay? All right, so we see when you're, when you're looking at the epistles, there is a common theme with them. You'll see Peter, I mean, Paul, he will preach, I mean, he will um, write about um, the doctrine. And then the other part of the letter is the practical part of the letter. And so in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, you get the doctrine. You get the doctrine about being called. That's the doctrine that he's teaching about. Um, in chapters 4 through 6, you get the practical part. Okay? So um, doctrinal means teaching or theology. So the theological teachings of the church, that's what is being taught. Okay? So the technical term, if you want to be fancy, you, uh, in, uh, instead of saying um, teaching, you could say orthodox, orthodoxy. So you ever heard the word orthodox Christian, whatever, orthodox, orthodoxy, which means right standing, okay? And the practical term, um, practic um, practice or application, you can use the word orthopraxy, which means right behavior or conduct, okay? So my conduct or my practice is informed by my belief. So my orthopraxy is informed by my orthodoxy. <laughs> if you want to be fancy like that. I mean, you, yeah, if you want to really sound like you know something. <laughs> that was deep. <laughs> I was cracking up when I was writing there. I was like, I'm writing jokes or something. I was cracking up. But yeah, my orthopraxy informs, my orthodoxy informs my orthopraxy. Okay, so my theology informs my conduct or my behavior. Okay, <laughs> so like I said, chapters one and three it talks about the calling of the church, who is called and um, who has been called, and what does it mean to be called. Um, so if you want to understand the doctrine of of election or the doctrine of being called, you can read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, okay? Talks about the justification. That's the word we love now. We love the word. <laughs> we have been justified. <laughs> Lord, everybody quickens. But that it, it's a blessing to realize that I've been chosen before the foundations of the world. It was nothing that I've done. It was nothing that I've done. It was all God's choice. So that is a reason to rejoice. And no, but nothing or no one can snatch me out of God's hand. Okay? Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter if, you, if you've done wrong. You're still going to heaven. Okay. <laughs> but it, no matter what you do here on earth, if you're saved, you are going to heaven. Whom he justified will be glorified okay so that means um, justification and glorification is in God's hands we have no control of that none what we do have control of is sanctification okay so it does matter what you do on earth it that will depend on your condition in heaven so if you act up here on earth, you can't go to heaven and expect to be in a mansion 
they're going to escort you right to the projects. <laughs> because the work that we do, we're sending up lumber. We're sending up building um, products to heaven when we are in our obedience to God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about building. And so um, when, you're, when your works are being judged, you either judge um, your works... It's either wood, stubble, or hay, or precious metal and stones. You want to send up precious metal and stones. You don't want to send up wood, stubble, and hay because when your works are being judged by Jesus, it's going to, um, it's going to come against fire. And wood, stubble, and hay burns. But precious metal and stones won't burn. That's how you build. Okay? All right. That was a side note. I won't charge you out for that one. <laughs> so <laughs> no don't cash don't cash at me that's flesh I can't do it uh, so um, and so um, when we learn about our calling in church this should um, shut down a lot of bad teaching we hear about calling because we always saying we, we hear it all the time like oh I've been called to preach and I've been called to the ministry and you haven't been called and you haven't been called and you can now go to Ephesians chapter 1 and 3 and says that I have been called. And I'm glad that you finally realized that you've been called. But I already knew that I was called. So as disciples of Christ, we will hear various levels of calling, though. Okay. So the initial call is to come out of the darkness into the marvelous light, which is called what? Justification. So while you are saved, you will hear levels of call, okay? Because when you're called out of darkness into the marvelous light, you are now a believer of Jesus Christ. But when you decide to yield your life to Jesus and say that he has all authority, he has all rule, reign, and dominion, that's when you're walking in discipleship. Discipleship is conditional, okay? Jesus said it all the time, if you... Uh, if you do this, then you're my disciple. If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciple. See, that's a conditional thing. It's not automatic. It's a decision that we have to make in our sanctification stage. Okay? All right. So, um, so when we hear calling, we must measure it against the word of God. Okay? Ephesians 1 and 8 says this. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of your calling, of his calling. What are the riches of the glory and the inheritance in the saints? Okay. So the terms enlightened means illumination. So that's what we need here in this modern day, in this dispensation, we need the illumination of the word of God. Those who are in the Bible, they receive revelation and illumination. Why? Because scriptures were still being written. Okay? Once scriptures are written, that means revelation ceases. God ain't speaking no more. He's speaking now through his word. He's not giving anything new. He gave everything in his word. So what we need now is illumination, okay? All right. So um, a lot of people don't even know um, that they're walking in darkness. 
they, that they don't have any type of light, um, that their eyes have been darkened. So who darkened their eyes? First, we're sinners, saved by grace. So we already walk, we're walking in darkness. And then when we, when we are saved, many of us are still walking in darkness. Why is that? Bad teaching keeps us in darkness. Not yielding to God keeps us in darkness. And that's something that we have to uh, really break in the church, especially bad teaching and bad prophecies. I've been, okay, uh, amen. So we need, to, um, we need to pray for one another because there are a lot of uh, preachers out there and teachers out there that is really persuading the people that you have not been called. And so therefore, if we hear that, then we're not really excelling. We're not really living our lives for God. We are accepting the fact that we are believers, and that's it. We are never offered discipleship. We're never offered anything greater that God is, um, is offering to the church, okay? So we need to definitely be in prayer. This is what we're supposed to be interceding about, that, uh, that my brother and my sister will receive enlightenment, that my brother and my sister will begin to walk according to what God um, says in his word. That's my prayer for you all, that you all will begin to walk according to what God says, what is for you. You don't have to no longer stay in darkness, okay? So this is the, this is the role of leaders, that we're supposed to be teaching you all. We're supposed to be helping, you know, adjusting the light bulb <laughs> for you all to to receive illumination because when you go home and begin to study this on your own, that's when the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate the scripture. So all we do is give you the tools and then the Holy Spirit does the illumination. Okay. All right. So chapter, let me go to chapter four through six is the conduct of the church. So we said one to three is about the calling the doctrine of the church, chapter four through six, is the conduct of the church, the practicality, the, the orthopraxy of the church. So you, you can tell that Paul switches um, tone here in um, Ephesians chapter four, verse one, because there, he starts the scripture with, therefore, I, a prisoner, He's, he switches, because in chapters one to three, he's given all this doctrine, all this, all this. And then he starts with chapter four. He says, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. Okay. Um, what's the word for walk? Because we've been saying it. Y'all remember? What's the word? Ten, uh, Tracy, you messing up. All right. I seen your face. <laughs> What's the word? What's the Greek? What's the what's the word for for walk? Yeah, remember, peripateo. Remember that he says it all the time. Peripateo. Y'all need to remember that. P. Let me let me spell P E R. If you're taking notes, P E R. I P A T E O. Peripateo. Because you see walk a lot in Paul's epistles. Okay. And there's a definition that I love, and it says to, to walk without argument, meaning that I am solid in what I believe in, and it's not up for a debate. 
I would not be tossed to and fro by, by every wind of doctrine. Um, Ephesians 4 and 14 goes on and says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and tossed there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So that means I, because I am a disciple, because I study, because I go to TLC, because I, 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 I am in my word, I am abiding in my word, I will not be swayed by craziness that I see on Facebook, crazy teachings on Facebook. My goodness, I was like, good Lord, all this crazy teachings on Facebook, I am solid in what I stand in, so therefore it won't trigger me to respond, because we love to comment on people's stuff. Commenting on people's stuff will get you in trouble, so don't. <laughs> huh? Learn. <laughs> so we need to um, definitely be solid. And it says, it starts the sentence as a result. So as a result of what? So previous verse says that we are in training. Your teachers and your shepherds um, should be training you. So for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all obtain the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I wanted to go back because I wanted to show you something in Ephesians 4 and 1. Um, Therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Walk manner in the and uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling is sanctification. And then with which you have been called is justification. Okay? So when you're looking in scripture and you hear salvation terms like regenerated or election or calling or salvation, um, this is how you can discern which mode they're talking about. If the verb is in the past tense, and you have to read the context too, but if the verb is in the past tense, then that means they're talking about your justification because it's already been done, right? So of course they're going to talk about it in past tense. But if it's um, in present tense, worthy of the calling, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's active, right? That's going on. That's your sanctification. And then you'll see, you'll see, um, you'll see it in the uh, future tense too. I will be called. Glorification. I will be called. I will be caught up. I will be. That is your glorification. Okay. So that's a Bible study tip, right there. Yep. First question. Hey, mama. <laughs> It is. It is a choice. You have a choice to live right for God. Even though he has called you, you are saved. Now you have to live right. You have to live, walk in obedience to God. That's a choice. He doesn't force us to live right. He does not. So, yeah, it's a choice. Any other questions? Are we good? All right. All right.
All right, so let's pick this up here. That is a good choice. It's a tough choice. It is. But it's a, it's a really good choice. This is the work that we are called to do, okay? Another thing is that we, um, let's go here, let's see here. We have been called, since we're talking about tough choices, we have been called to walk in humility. I don't have that scripture here. Um, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. I don't have that one on here. I missed that one. Um, that says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing one another, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So as disciples, we are called to walk in humility, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit is helping us, should be helping us, if you ask him, <laughs> to help you walk this out every day, okay? Um, Paul said it, it is, it's not easy to do this thing. We even see Jesus exhibiting humility. He presented himself at a lowly place when he and his disciples, um, he began to wash the feet of his disciples. He took off his outer garment and began to wash the feet of the disciples. He took on the role as a slave. They did that at the door. Before you come into somebody's house, they had a slave to wash your feet. Jesus took that place. Could you, could you imagine? My king of kings, my lord of lords, took the place of a slave. And that was a, a, he was exhibiting how humility looks, what it looks like. But we live in a society that the preacher got to have a parking spot got to upgrade the Mercedes every year. I, I won't call out the church, but to Toya know who I'm talking about. Got to upgrade the Mercedes every year. Huh? Got to upgrade. <laughs> got to have room temperature water. Got to have all these perks. But Jesus said, I'm going to wash the feet of the disciples. Remember, they had dirty roads. Could you imagine watching a grown man feet? A man feet at that. Grown man feet? I'm just speaking truth. The truth will set you free. I, I just can't. Uh, what's going on? We, I, can't, I can't do it. But Jesus took that place. He said, the greatest of these. Oh, Lord. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. <laughs> he said the, the greatest position that you can ever be in is the position of a servant. So the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So that is the position that we need to take. But people don't want that. That's why people don't want to follow Jesus Christ. They don't want to follow um, his, his rules. They don't want to follow. Uh, they don't want to follow it because it requires you to. Put yourself in a lowly place. We turn down checks and we turn down promotions and we turn down, we, we don't have itineraries and we don't have riders and all that stuff. We take the lowly place and that's tough as a disciple. But the only way that we were able to walk in humility is with the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. 
okay? And that is a daily walk. That is the progressive sanctification walk, okay? So once you have been saved, okay, I don't want to open up this can of worms, but I think this is really good to know, though. That's why I wrote it down. So once you have been saved, you've been given supernatural endowments or spiritual abilities or spiritual gifts, okay? We've been taught in church that people don't have spiritual gifts, that you need to take this quiz, you need to fill out this survey, and then you'll be able to know your spiritual gift. And that is so wrong. That's wrong, okay? Once you are born again, you have spiritual gifts. So the job of a teacher or the job of leaders or uh, the job of shepherds is to help you discover, develop, and deploy your spiritual gifts, okay? And your spiritual gifts is for the edification of the body. It's not for your personal gain. It's not for your personal benefit, and it's not for your, your personal, uh, the word just escaped me, uh, it's not for your personal, uh, for you to get money. It's not for, it's not for that. Okay, your spiritual gift is supposed to help out the body of Christ. That's how we build up the body of Christ, edification. That's how we do it. And, and in, the, uh, in the Bible days and amongst the churches, they would have gatherings like this, but it wasn't just one person speaking. Sometimes they would have guests, you know, people come in and talk. But they will, you're, you're able to um, exercise your gift. So if, if, if Tracy has a, um, a word of um, encouragement, we should be allowed, we should let her speak. Yeah, an exhorter. And if, if, if Paige have a word, uh, a prophetic uh, word, we should be able to let them speak. That's how they did it. That's, that's allowing the Holy Spirit to move. Churches grieve the Holy Spirit because we don't allow the gifts to be exercised. And, and another thing, we don't, we don't really train um, about spiritual gifts in the context of advancing the kingdom. Okay? So when you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will hear the call to preach, okay? It's not anything elite. It's nothing, you know, like how we, we if you're being called to preach, we just like, oh, we equate that to like being an apostle or something. We just, we just lift the call <laughs> of being a preacher. We, you sit up here in the pulpit. You fan, No, if you are a disciple, you, hear, you will hear the call to preach, Okay, so as you are training and maturing, then you will be released to preach. Don't, that's not up here. Preaching is your everyday walk. There y'all go. Preaching is, uh, you, you will reach the unbelievers and you will reach believers. You will proclaim, you will hearken the gospel, that's the only thing. That's preaching it. Preaching is gospel. It's preaching the gospel. That's why I keep saying when you, we, don't, we don't preach to the saved. We don't need to hear the gospel. We're saved. Why, why are you preaching on the third day? We always, you know, them Baptist preachers, when they about to 
tune up. They go to the third day. I don't need to hear that. It's good to hear, but I'm already saved. So when we come together, exhorting should be happening. Teaching should be happening. Sermonic teaching should be happening. Okay? And you don't hear that word exhorters. You don't hear that. Um, there's a, there, uh, in my mentoring program, um, they train exhorters. And they train them to um, come up. They have a portion in their service where they um, give a, a, a word of um, edification or, or encouraging word. And I'm like, we don't really have that in our churches at all. Like, you got to look a certain way. You got to have a certain type of money to have a position in churches and things of that sort. And, but we don't ever train biblically on the positions that exist in the church. Because all we know is minister and a preacher. And ministers, if you're a disciple, you will hear the call to minister. <laughs> so it ain't no elite thing at all. So uh, minister, what's the, what's the other word for minister? Servant. So we all running to be a minister, but we ain't really trying to be a minister. We ain't trying to be no servant for real. Because that means you are serving the people. You're, you're helping the people. And we ain't trying to do that. We want the people to give to us. We got it backwards. Okay? So once you have been saved, uh, once you come a discipleship, you're supposed to evangelize the world. Okay? And then when you um, discover your spiritual gifts, you're supposed to build up those um, who responded to the gospel, okay? As you begin to mature as disciples, you will begin to understand your gifting. You begin to understand who you are, and then that's when you start help building up the church, okay? So the work of the church, it has been entrusted to us. So we, are, we're, we have the responsibility to bring those under the rule, reign, and dominion of Jesus Christ, Right? That is the work of the church. So everything we do in church should be measured against how am I advancing the kingdom? In my songs, how am I advancing the kingdom? In my, in my ushering or in me serving uh, in the audio department, how is that advancing the kingdom? Okay, because God is purposeful. He just... <laughs> God is so very particular when it comes to his worship. And I think we as a church, we've come very lackadaisical and we begin to offer up God any type of worship. And um, we, we know in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, that God was so particular about the offerings, about how you're supposed to approach him. You can't approach him in any manner. Because if you did, you will be killed. <laughs> well, taken, come on home. <laughs> he said, come on. <laughs> or go there. <laughs> oh, Lord, I don't want to go there. Do you want to go to hell? No, I don't. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> um, and so, and so uh, we as to, uh, of today, 
we have to really know the heart of God and to know what is required of us today so we can walk in obedience. And that's not really taught in church. So we have the responsibility to teach others how to walk in obedience. And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 and 6 looks uh, is talking about. It's um, giving you, uh, let me see here, let's go down here. Um, there are six topics that Ephesians 4 through 6 covers. Okay. Ephesians 4 through 6 covers unity, it covers righteousness, it covers the Holy Spirit's control, it covers marriage, it covers households, and it covers spiritual warfare. All that in this book. So Paul, he gave the doctrine of you have you been called, and then 4 through 6, he he tells you how to walk it out. That's why that word peripateo is so important. It's an active thing. He teaches you how to walk it out. And we've been learning in TLC that you can't just read the scripture and then try to apply it. Can't do that because you, you can't because a lot of this is, um, some of it is law-based. You got to understand when, when God is talking about the law and when it's just for um, the Jews we have to understand the culture and what is going on and all that stuff. And so this is important. This is why um, I'm giving you the tools. As a teacher, I'm giving you the tools um, so that you can, when, when you're reading this at home, you're able to go through the list. Like, okay, Paul okay, was in jail when he wrote this. The Ephesians was going on the persecution. Okay, this is why Paul was saying this. And you can go through the list when reading scripture so it can make sense and then the Holy Spirit will begin to give you illumination about what is it about and then he'll give you application too. He'll teach you how to apply the word to your life and, and it's not, it's, it's, it's all in scripture, okay? So, um, but we hear these topics on spirit, spirit control and marriage and household, but it's very very superfluous. Churches don't really talk about marriage and sex and all this stuff. We just kind of fly over it. But it's so important. And I thank God that's not my assignment tonight. But I'm so... <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but it's, it's, so, it's so important to teach it. Because if we don't teach it, then the world will. Then you're wondering why people are doing X, Y, and Z. Because it's what they know. It's their orthodox. <laughs> and so what you see is their orthopraxy. That's what they, that's what they know, okay? You, you have a question? Go ahead. All right. Okay, so I thought that unity, righteousness, Households and spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. If I had a little bit more time, I would have had a PowerPoint slide for you. I have that on. Amen. Um, and so... Um, we have to be taught these things. We just can't assume that you know it. It's like with a kid. Um, we tell the kid, like, you know better. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. But if you haven't taught your kid right from wrong, then you really don't have a place to say that they're doing wrong if you haven't taught them. They're doing what they see on TV. They're doing what they see their friends do. They're doing what they see on YouTube. God forbid YouTube. They, they do all this stuff. And so... When, they are, when they're acting out and when they're doing things, they're just doing things what they've been taught. That's why we, I'm learning, I'm learning 
now since I've been taking care of my niece and nephew that you have to teach them. You have to get down on their level, beat them where they are, and teach them. Because the things that I've said, like the, um, the world and YouTube and all that stuff, that shapes the iniquity. So we are born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and that shaping happens through world systems. And so scripture says that we need to, what, train a child in the way they should go. When they're old, when they, they will not depart from it. When you're teaching them biblical concepts, it shaves down the iniquity. Okay? It, you're training them in the way they should go. And then when they finally decide that they have been called or they heard the calling up from the Lord, then the Holy Spirit will begin to teach. So it's our responsibility as, as parents, as aunts and uncles to train them up. And then when they give their lives to Christ, you just hand the baton to the Holy Spirit. Praise our God. That's how it's supposed to be. But we don't, we don't, we don't want to teach nobody. We just assume that they know. If someone's a bad teacher, you teach them how to teach. If someone is a, a bad speaker, you teach them how to speak. You don't just talk about them behind their back. You teach them. If you don't know how, be quiet. <laughs> yes, and that's the one thing. Be willing to be taught. Because we're all not perfect. I am sitting up here nervous as jacks. I am not perfect at all. And I'm always in a position to learn. My mentor, <laughs> he gets me every day. I'm sitting there lollygagging. ain't really, I'm paying attention, but I'm doing something else at the same time. And then he called, he said, I know Camille knows the answer. I said, I didn't even hear the question. Oh my God, embarrassed, right in front, <laughs> in front of the class. So we all, <laughs> so we're all in a position of learning. We're all um, in a position of um, getting better but we just have to give people room to grow. We gotta give people room to grow. And as leadership, we need to give people room to grow. They will make mistakes. They will make crazy choices. They will do things. You may give them an outline on how to do it, but they'll do it a different way. My teachers. <laughs> but I let them, I give them room to grow. And they, I'm telling you, our teachers are, have been teaching, and I'm so excited. And I got a manual tonight. On <laughs> I love it, though, but I'm giving them room to grow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you just follow the outline. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. Right. <laughs> don't, don't talk about the tetramorpha, whatever it was. <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> I love it though, but that's that's how she thinks. She she's a critical she's a critical thinker. And so it's just I'ma let her run down that rabbit hole and I'ma just bring you back up. Come on, Shug. Let's keep teaching. <laughs> but yeah, you're supposed to give people room to grow. Okay. And so um let's go through real quick. I got four minutes. Or do I have time? I have four minutes. <laughs> I'm all right? 
15. You said 15, 20. This is going to be quick, okay? I ain't going to go no sad bars, no more. So look, we're going to look at the first one. It's on unity, okay? So when we say unity, um, we have a wrong belief system when it comes to unity, okay? Um, we have a, a Tower of Babel mentality when it comes to unity, if we realize it or not. Because we think if we're love, we love everybody, and we get along, then everything's good. But you have to realize, let's go to Genesis 11, verse 6 here. And I'm going to tell you why we have a Tower of Babel mentality. Okay? The Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all they have, and they all have the same language, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. You may think like that's good. You don't want a core. They speak in the same language, but their purpose, their motive, is wrong. Okay, so when you begin to study about the Tower of Babel and why they built it, they weren't trying to reach God. They were actually trying to build a tower for God to come down. Okay, that was a pagan ritual or whatever. So their purpose of doing it was wrong. You ever seen a group of people that love one another? They bros and sisters, but the foundation of them is mess. They just messy all the time, but they they unified, they tight. That's my brother. That's my mom. That's my, but they're messy. And every um, picture of unity is not acceptable and pleasing to God. We have to understand that even though you may be one, but if your foundation is based on something that is unacceptable to God, then it's going to be unacceptable to God. Okay? So, um, you said what? The demons are united. That's why we get defeated all the time. <laughs> a house divided against itself cannot stand. So they run strategy. But we fighting against one another in the church. Oh, Mary and Joseph. We're in, yeah, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so, um, but we don't, we don't realize that we're operating in the Tower of Babel unity, though. The enemy got us real good because we, we talk about loving one another. But when they talking about it in scripture, the unity is talking about unity of faith, meaning that your foundation is all the same according to the scriptures. Then we can build together. OK, so um, let me see here. But you can say you could be in unity and displease God. Okay. So first, this unity mentioned here helps help us to understand or help us to see the priority of those spiritually gifted in the area of the word of God. That's chapter four, verses one through sixteen. It says it has already been become clear to Paul that unity is not going to happen among the people, among God's people by wishful thinking. We have to be taught how to be in unity with one another, okay? Paul tells them that the unity that has been provided by the Spirit, but they must be diligent in preserving that unity. So you can't, have, you can't allow the devil to come in and try to destroy that unity. Unity, however, does not mean sameness. Believers are different. We're all different. 
We got some different folks in our church. We're all different. <laughs> Very much so. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, each of us, you see, each one has received, like I said, spiritual gifts to help others to mature in Christ. This interdependency strengthens the unity of the church. Okay. Paul is also talking about the unity of faith. We all will have one mind and understanding about who God is. Unity that is pleasing and acceptable to God is unity that is based in the faith, based in the word of God. That's the unity that is pleasing and acceptable to God. Okay. In uh, Ephesians 4 and 13, it says, until we have attained the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the church cannot be unified if we are babies, if we're immature. It says, I'm sorry, I had the scripture up. It says to the mature man. So we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of God, knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So if you're immature, you will never reach the unity of faith. Okay? Because you babies, they're tossed to and fro. Babies get mad when they don't have their, their way. They have temper tantrums. They want things to go their way. So you can't uh, achieve unity. You can't, you can't get to where God wants you to be if you're immature. Because some things are going to happen that, that uh, you won't agree with. Because I have a way of doing things. Tammy have a way of doing things. We all have a way of doing things. And sometimes we have to compromise. Oh, board meetings give me anxiety <laughs> because I'm a control freak and I'm trying, I'm trying to have the Holy Spirit to, to calm that thing down. But that's about compromising. That's growing up, being mature. I can't get mad because Tammy decided they're going to wear purple and I want them to wear red. I can't get mad at that stuff. <laughs> I have to be able to compromise. We could wear maroon. It's a mixture. No, but um, <laughs> okay. So as indicated in the passage, Jesus recognized the correlation between unity and the word of God. Okay. You read that in John chapter 14 and 17. I love John chapter 14 and 17 because you hear the heart of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about when I leave here, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. He talks about that. He's talking about us being one just as he is one with God, we should be one with God. It, I, I love it. It's, the, it's like the love section. It's, it's really good. So Jesus talks about the oneness and how it should be achieved. And, and only God can define what unity looks like. You can't. I was going to put a stat. I haven't put a status up in a while. <laughs> and I was going to put this status. That it, it kills me on how people are trying to tell God what to do. You are not his God. You can't. He, he really don't. And so when, when he gives the outline of unity, when he gives the outline of marriage, when he gives the outline of households, you cannot try to bargain with God. He said, I said what I said. I am who I am. <laughs> And so um, only those who are abiding in God's word will understand that oneness God desires. So remember that uh, Paul, he warns the elders 
um, in the Ephesian area to guard against false teaching because there were other people trying to teach opposite of what God was, was saying, okay? So um, he talks about this again in Timothy, and all these themes that I just said, the six themes, they're all important and worthy of a lifetime of study because you can never exhaust the word of God. You always, God always um, illuminating his word to us. So um, I believe it was last week or the last time we got together, uh, we talked about uh, righteousness of the church. And that's chapter 4, verses 17 through 5 and 17, okay? So um, out of all the many things that can be said said here, um, we've come to know that the church today is most lacking in the fact that Paul counsels um, that these things must first be taught. That's what he said. These things must be taught. And as the church, we must continue to teach people in true righteousness. So with righteousness, it says Paul says that the believers are to live godly lives, ridding themselves of sinful habits. This progressive sanctification is accomplished by renewing of the mind. Okay? The word of God alone helps us think more as God thinks, thus seeing clearly what is good and evil. According to Romans 8 and 7, uh, verses, uh, Romans 8 and 7, it says, the natural not mind of being capable of being uh, subject to the Lord God. It says, see, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on flesh, on the flesh is hostile. Am I reading this? Yeah, hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we can't do this work on our own. We can't tell God, I got this. You can't do it because our, 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 our flesh is evil. Sinful nature is evil. It can't make good choices. It can't make godly choices, I should say. It can't make godly choices. So that's why your mind must be renewed every day. I have been renewed, I am being renewed, and I will be renewed in my glorified body. (laughs) So let's see how that works. Renewed is a sanctification word. It can be used, justification, sanctification, glorification. So um, the mind is the key of putting off um, the old and putting on the new, okay? Um, Ephesians 4 and 22, it says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, okay? Um, let me see here. Oh, I didn't put 24, but 24 says, and to put on the new self, which is, um, which is in likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Okay. So, um, Paul, he gives a lot of practical examples in 425 and, um, through 514, but it's not easy as it sounds. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit, okay? It is an ongoing work. So you must put on your new self every day. 
but you can't do it on your own. You have to have the Holy Spirit put it on. And that's why, that's why we need to be in our word every day. That's why we need to uh, commune with the Father every day. We need to actually practice discipleship every day. We're on our way. We get together about two to three times a week, but Jesus' disciples got together every day, every day. And uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, we're adding next year another TLC day. So in addition to Saturday, there will be another day during the week for TLC. Y'all ready for discipleship? That's discipleship, meeting every day with Jesus Christ through this teaching. Because we want, you to, we want you to excel in life. We want you to be successful in life. We want you to be faithful, you know, in life or whatnot. So um, I was telling Wayne, I said, we were talking about discipleship and how they meet every day. And even when they met every day, they still got it wrong. He said, how long do I have to be with you all? How, how many times do I have to show y'all this? So we can't, as leaders, we can't be upset when you don't get what we're teaching, if we're only offering it once or twice a week. So discipleship is no joke. Discipleship is really allowing God to control your schedule. Okay? So um, when we are um, putting on our new nature, I'm going to talk about this, and I think I'm going to try to speed this up a little bit. I didn't know I wrote so much in three hours. I didn't know. So the use of a figure of clothing for this work indicates our outer character. So when we're putting on, it indicates our outer character. It's covering our human weaknesses. And it's function as an official vestment identifying a person as a representative. So the terms of our ambassadorship are in scripture, okay? Being an ambassador involves modeling and obedience, everything he has commanded us. So we talk about we are ambassadors of Christ, we're representatives of Christ, but we don't know the terms of our conditions. We don't know scripture. We don't know when we go out, we don't know who are we representing and what we are representing. So every day, we must recognize that we are clothed with weakness. And God said, I want to cover you with a new outfit, which is being clothed with power. And so we need to be clothed with power. This is the out, out, outward character. Clothed with power is nothing more than saying being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a new ter- two terms about to teach you all. Indwelling and infilling. Indwelling happens during your justification. You're, you're um, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit began to come in. That's indwelling. Infilling is allowing the Holy Spirit to take control every day. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with his knowledge, being filled to do right, being filled with obedience, okay? So we see that in church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we say it, but we don't really know what that means. Or, oh, she sang that song, she was filled with the Spirit. No, no, she wasn't. She was just emotional. So it, it's, it's not what we say filling is. It's, it involves work. It's a part of our sanctification. Okay, y'all crazy. It's a part of your sanctification. Okay? And so, let's see here. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, Inasmuch as we, having put, put it on, will not be found naked, for indeed 
We will be, no, for indeed, while we are in this tent, in this body, we groan and we, uh, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be, uh, we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. That means they're yearning for glorification, okay? Um, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. So your, your spirit man should be yearning for more of God. You should have a craving to read the word of God. I was telling, I was telling women, like, I, I, I take classes morning and night every day, okay? And I get to a point where I'm tired because I'm still preparing lessons for next year and all this stuff. So I get tired, right? So one night, <laughs> it was at 12 a.m., I was just up studying because I was so fascinated by the word of God. You get this jolt of energy, all of a sudden, my spirit man began to groan, began to wanting more of God. And that's what, blow your mind. So, I don't know if I want to open up this can of worms. <laughs> when your spirit groans or when your spirit um, yearns for more of God and your, um, the word just escaped me, must not be meant for me to say. <laughs> When you're, uh, let me say this, when you when in the Old Testament, when they're fasting, they fast uh, because of grief or because of, what's the word I want to use? It starts with a W and it's not coming to me. Uh, they fast. Um, oh, you guys know in Isaiah. You guys don't read your Bible? No. Um, uh, uh, the word. And it's not coming to me, but the, the word um, that talks about your, your uh, they fast for groaning or they fast um, for, nope, it's not coming to me at all. And it was a really good point, but it's not, it's not coming to me, so I'm going to skip it. But it's a, oh, dang it, it's not coming to me. All right, so um, let's go here. Nope, I went there already. So Ephesians 4 and 24 says, we put on a new self. And the likeness of God um, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speaking truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not let, do not give the devil an opportunity. Okay. And uh, we talked about that kind of in TLC about opportunity. And Tammy brought it up and said, how dare the audacity of, the, of Satan to approach Jesus Christ and try to tempt him. And then I added, I said, then he said he was going to be back. And he did come back when he was on the cross and said, if you are Christ, if you say, you know, who you say you are, you can come on off that cross. And so if he tempted Jesus the Christ, Surely he's going to tempt us. And so, um, and so we as believers, as disciples of Christ, we cannot give the devil any room when it comes to our walk. He's very sneaky, and he will, he will even come in as when you're trying to study, and all of a sudden you feel sleepy. Or you study, and you start, start scrolling on Facebook, or 
your kids start fighting in the background or if you want to do something good for God, something always happens. Just like what Paul said, evil is always there. That's how we give the enemy room, though. Because you're supposed to be studying, but now all of a sudden you look up, it's been two hours, and you've just been scrolling on Facebook. Those are little things <laughs> that the enemy's trying to take your time. He's trying to take it. He's trying to take it. So the spirit, the scriptures distinguish between spiritual garments that we put on ourselves and those uh, which God puts on us. There's some, a, a list of scriptures, but uh, we won't go through those. So our, our clothing with power is that which God puts on us. Mourning, that's the word I was looking for. Mourning. I did. I said W. Right, weary. I'm thinking weary, bro. <laughs> Morning. I'll come back to that. It was really good, though. It was, it was a really good point. Because I'm going to go there anyways. Because it helps us learn about fast. You realize that in Paul's epistles, he doesn't give instructions on fasting to the church. You won't find it at all. So I went to the scripture, oh, I'm still there, um, of 2 Corinthians about your, when you're fasting, you are, in the Old Testament, they're mourning for the presence of God, right? Because God left them. So they, you know, rip off their clothes and what they do, pour the, um, the ashes and all that stuff because they're trying to have God to come, you know, come back. We as a church don't need to rip off our clothes and mourn and pour ashes for God to come back. Why? Because he's in us. And so if our spirit in the scripture here, we groan for the presence of God, we want more of him. This is, this is the way, this is how I look at fasting for the church. So now I'm putting things aside as far as hanging out with friends and as far as hanging out in the world and doing all this stuff because I want to be in the presence of God through the word. I want to know more about him, so I, I will put on some scriptures and try to uh, be in his presence and try to learn more about him. That's the, that's the way that we should fast today. This is a tough one because we, it's not food because we can, we can deny food and go back to our flesh. Because in the Old Testament, their sanctification and justification was the same. So if they followed the law, they were justified and sanctified. We don't have to, um, we don't have to do all those things for God to come. We say that in the church, oh, Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. He don't, he don't have to. He's inside of us. So in order for us to get closer to God, though, is to learn more about him, is to deny the flesh, is to put things aside, is deny going out at night, is deny doing all this stuff that our flesh wants to do. That's how you kill the flesh, of rejecting the things that, they, that it wants to do and to engulf yourself in the word of God. So when your flesh, and it says, for indeed, while we're in this tent, in this body right here, we groan, your spirit man groans. 
being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. How does that sound? But to be unclothed, meaning take off the flesh, but to be clothed, put on the spirit. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. For he who prepared for us in this very purpose of God. So our spirit should be groaning to go to heaven. Death should not scare you. I know I'm talking tough because I see your faces, mother. I feel, I feel the heat. We should not be scared to die. We should have hope because we know where we're going. So our spirit man is not afraid to let go of earth because they know your spirit man knows exactly where it's going. Okay, I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> so the last point is the Holy Spirit provides power uh, for righteous living. So we ta- I've been talking about anyways the Holy Spirit having control. Um, Okay, so this is an ongoing activity. I've been talking about your sanctification and all that stuff. So the Holy Spirit desires to fill us. So once we are saved, like I said, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So once we are indwelled, there are several events that happen at, this, at the same time. Like I said, when, when you um, receive Jesus Christ or when you realize that you have been called, the Holy Spirit comes in. You're being regenerated, renewed. There's a whole list of stuff that happens at once, Okay. So when it comes to infilling, though, it is conditional, okay? Like I said before, um, he doesn't fill you unless you yield to the Holy Spirit. Infilling is a part of our sanctification. So the doctrine of infilling um, is important as a foundation. Um, The work of the Holy Spirit in infilling is made universally available to those who yield to God. And I said that in virtue of abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in every heart. So indwelling is the abiding presence of the Spirit, while the infilling of the Spirit indicates ministry and the extent of control of the Spirit over the individual. Infilling is how we grow. Infilling is how we um, develop fruit, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us. We know how to walk in love, patience, and long-suffering because the Holy Spirit infills us to walk that thing out, Okay. Um, let me see, Colossians 1 and 10, it says that so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That is an ongoing thing. Your fruit doesn't come in full grown, <laughs> comes in seed form. It needs, it needs to be grown, okay? It needs to be uh, taken care of. It needs to be matured. And you do that through your daily walk with God, Okay. Um, that's why you, sh- you should never hear somebody tell you, be indwelled. You should hear the word, be in field. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that says that in Ephesians 5, this is the last one. Ephesians 5, it says, then do not get drunk with wine, for that is, let me see, sorry, for that is dissipation, or we know the word debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Okay? So uh, that's pretty much all I have. I know it's a little lot. But um, any questions? Ephesians is a, is a tough book. 
And um, I believe that we're going to probably come back around to it where we can really break down what justification is. What is sanctification? What is glorification? What it means to be called elect? How am I supposed to live this life as a believer? It's tough. We don't know how to live. We don't know how to respond to um, the racism and the politics. We don't know how to respond according to the word. And the word gives us instructions on that. But we don't have people teaching us how to respond. And so what we respond like the world, because that's all we know. So my prayers for you that you will continue on this path of learning. And I know some of it was tough and it was a little long, but it's very pertinent for your salvation. It's very pertinent for your uh, sanctification. Okay. So I just want to pray for you all. And then I'll uh, go back in my booth. (laughs) Father God. I thank you, God, for um, your people of God. I thank you, oh God, that you entrusted um, these leaders uh, to raise up and to equip the people of God. God, your, your teaching is tough, but it's so necessary for living. We thank you, oh God, that you've given us Outlines, and you've given us uh, ways to live, oh God. And God, we may not get it right. We will mess up all the time. But we thank you for your grace and your mercy, God, that covers us every day. And we are thankful for the Holy Spirit that instructs us, that will tell us to go one way, that will tell us to do one thing. And God, I pray that we will learn to lean and depend and rely on the Holy Spirit. God, I'm praying for um, the people. I'm praying for myself as well, that we will just grow in you, Father. That we are no longer babes in Christ. That we are... uh, on our way to perfection and perfection means maturity in scripture so we're on our way to perfection we're on our way to mature in you father and we thankful we are thankful for the body that we can encourage one another because this walk is hard and we are not instructed to do it by ourselves we are not instructed to do it by ourselves but we should come together as disciples into edify and to exhort one another in this walk thankful for the spiritual gifts that are given from the holy spirit and i pray oh god that people will come to a point where they'd be able to discover develop and deploy their spiritual gifts oh god and us as leaders begin to cultivate and begin to help them find uh, their way oh god i pray for the leaders I pray that um, they will continue to lean and depend on you. I pray, oh God, that you will make your word available to them, Father. And I, 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 I thank you, oh God, for working with, this, with these um, leaders, Father. 
I am grateful for the gifts that they all carry. I'm grateful for the grace that we have towards one another and giving people room to grow. I'm grateful, oh God, for where you're about to take them and where you're about to take us as a body, Father. And I pray, oh God, that we will continue to learn about the unity of faith so we can solidify our foundation. That it will be pleasing and acceptable unto you, Father. I don't want for our walk to be displeasing to you, Father. So God, help us. Help us, God. Help us, God. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. That reigns inside of us. For we don't live in the day where the Holy Spirit came and go. He went. We live in the day where the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and wants us to win and wants us to be faithful and wants us to be successful in you, Father. So I pray for the people. I pray against all the strongholds all the lies that's been told to them that they don't matter or they don't have a calling or they don't have spiritual gifts I pray oh God that you would begin to illuminate who you are to them and I pray oh God that we will continue to be a place where we Develop disciples and develop learners and lovers of the word. I honor you and I bless you for being God and God alone. You are good and I honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen.